want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide, Six Steps to Infuse Storytelling into Your Live Videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. Is anyone out there obsessed with tea the way I'm obsessed with tea? I drink tea every single day and I love discussing it and I love the idea of it as a spiritual practice. And that's a bit of our discussion today with my guest, Corinne Trang. Corinne is an award-winning author, the founder of Liquid Gold Tea Culture and Education Center, and the head of operations of business development for Level, an international business incubator in Sweden's third largest and fastest growing city, Malmo. Corinne has traveled the world, really traveled the world, you all, learning about cultures and taking these lessons, folding them into everyday life, both at home and at work. She's written for publications such as Food and Wine, Health, Cooking Light, and Savour, where she held the position of test kitchen director and producing editor, a certified yoga teacher, that's how I know her, and holistic health and nutrition counselor. She has helped people deal with the challenges of life organically. She's clearly a multi-talented, professional, multi-hyphenate, creative, like so many of us here, which is why I wanted her on the podcast. And she currently splits her time between the U.S. and Sweden. On today's episode, you'll learn the importance of creating your own path, why vulnerability and humility are so important when sharing your story, why sitting still can shift your perspective, and, of course, the spiritual practice of drinking tea. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Welcome back to the Nick Demas Show. I have with me today a friend I haven't seen in many years, and it's so good. Right before we came on, we connected, and it is so good to connect with this human being, and I cannot wait to share with you. She is a multi- hyphenate, creative, passionate, amazing human being. Corinne, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to see you, Nick, and to be here. Let's back way the heck up, because I think your background is really interesting and unique, I would say. You were born in France. Yes. A French mother and a Cambodian Chinese father. Yeah. Explain to me how that happened, first and foremost. <laughs> and how did that... No, no. The... I'm just a product of it. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know how that happened. <laughs> no. Uh, well, you know, my father, who's Chinese of origin, but born in Cambodia, was uh, was studying in France. And that's where he met my mom many moons ago. Uh, like many, many moons ago. <laughs> and uh, they got married and the rest is history. <laughs> they met in France. He was studying for a while. And so, you know, they had mutual friends and that was that. And uh, yeah, so that's why I was born in France, but he was born in Cambodia along with many brothers and sisters. 
Oh, you have many brothers and sisters. Well, no, he does. <laughs> My father <laughs> does. I have many uncles and aunts. Got you. Yeah, like some 23, 4, 24. <laughs> so you were raised there and in New York. I was raised in France for several years, but before, it's a little more complicated. Okay, so I was born in France. I, we then went to Cambodia, to Phnom Penh, and we lived there for several years. And before I was three, we came back to France, to Paris. And then by the time I was 11, we moved to New York. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot before 11. And I, I, I think I it wanted is. to bring this up because I think it really informs who you are to me. You have this really multicultural, diverse background. And I think that it's infused in everything in which you do, even to today. Would you would you say that's true? Yes. No. Absolutely. I'm totally confused. <laughs> no, uh, but no, it does inform who I am. I mean, I, I grew up in a very traditional uh, Chinese family, even though my mom is French. You know, and because you know she was she was with my father since early. I mean, when they were very young, she was 19 years old. Uh, when she married my dad. And so she took on really this very Chinese mother persona. <laughs> so that's all I know, really. She looks French, but she's very Chinese in her way. And so I grew up in a very strict Asian household, you know, like respect your elders, like everybody who walks in the door is an uncle or an aunt, even if they're not, <laughs> you know. So it's always been very, very interesting. And what that taught me is really, you know, having the respect for my elders, because no matter who walked through the door, you had to, you know, you had to say hello, you had to say all these things. I mean, and, and you just, you know, you serve them tea even um, because it's a Chinese household. So that's, you know, one of the things that we do. I mean, we didn't really have much time to play as kids. You know, I have two brothers. We didn't have much time to play as kids. We really just went to school, studied, you know, everything that everybody hears about Chinese families, like we go to school and we study and then we eat and we go to sleep and we do it again the next day. <laughs> so the stereotype is true is what you're telling me. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and then I went to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we all? I got on the mat and I did yoga. You got on the mat head. and did yoga to yeah. work through it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that is how we know each other. We met, what, oh, gosh, over a decade. <laughs> really ago. long ago. You were, you, know. you were my teacher, you were one of my teachers. <laughs> I was one of your teachers now that I think about it. You're right. I was one of your teachers. That's crazy. <laughs> so you're 11. You all moved to New York City. Yep. And what was it like to be this foreign kid? It was really tough because you're 11. I didn't speak English at the time. So I went to a regular school. Let me back up. I was supposed to be there on vacation, summer vacation. You know how the French take like a full month or maybe sometimes they two take months. They take a real vacation. Or they take a real vacation, right? Something we, we don't really uh, know uh, in the States. But in Europe, you take really long vacations. And so I was there for vacation, supposedly. And then one day, on a September morning, when we're supposed to be back in France already, my mom said, well, it should get up because you're going to school today. So I thought, oh, wow, we're going to school today. We're not in France yet. <laughs> so that was like just, you know, baptism by fire. We went to school. I didn't know what the heck was going on because I was like, wait, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Like, we didn't talk about this. You know, it was just a culture shock. And we weren't ready for it. You know, my brothers, we were not ready for it. 
we were fully expecting to go back to France. So what happened then, you know, is that we were going to school now in America, in New York, we were at New Rochelle. And after school, we went to another school that was called English as a second language school. And I was there just turning 11. And I was in a classroom with five-year-olds learning English on cue cards, you know, like those cards. And they would have like a the drawing of an apple. And, you know, we would have to spell A-P-P-L, apple. And so that's how I learned the language. <laughs> My mother learned English watching the soap operas, General Hospital. <laughs> and I was. I still watch General Hospital. I still, still watch exi- General Hospital. Wow. It still, still exists? On. It's still it's on. It's still online. That's really, that's wow. <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure for me, but I digress. You're, you're learning English <laughs> on, on cards. cards. <laughs> General Hospital is probably more, you know, entertaining. Anyway, so that's how I learned English. And the first two words I learned as a Chinese kid was, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Those were my first two words. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. At what point did your love of food come into play? Oh, wow. Because I know that you have, you are, what, what people don't know that are listening is that you are a brilliant chef. This is how I knew you when we met. Because <laughs> you were this brilliant chef and an author. Yeah cookbooks. So where did writing and when did the cooking come into play? Well, I mean, growing up in a Chinese, you know, multicultural family, one from France, the other from, you know, Cambodia of Chinese descent with family in Vietnam and in Indonesia traveling. I mean, it's just, you know, how can you not love food when you have so much at your fingertips? Really, I had access to so much different types of food because my family was spread out. Uh, like that. And so I grew up cooking with my mom, cooking with my grandmother, even French grandmother. And, you know, so you know, it just came naturally. You know, it's something that's passed down from generation to generation in cultures like that, you know, where food is really at the heart of the family unit. And so it was sort of a natural thing, but I didn't become a professional in the food and beverage industry until much later. As obviously as an adult and, you know, I was married to, to an architect and an industrial designer and we worked really well together until one day he said to me, you know, your cooking is so good. That's what you should be doing. <laughs> so it's like, no design competition in wow. the house. <laughs> so he totally you know, <laughs> redirected my focus and said, you should be doing this. And you have so many great stories. He was actually good in doing that so you didn't go to school then you didn't go to college no that came later (laughs) i did everything backwards well no i don't i wouldn't say backwards i said you do it you did it your way i did it my way (laughs) we're not going to break into song but i did do it my way so i i started then you know developing recipes because you need to put this in a book i'm like oh my god now i'm going to write a book i'm like okay fine i'll write the book and it was the most difficult thing i've ever done in my life is to write this first book so I wrote the book, got it published, and at the time I was an editor, or you know, an editor at Sever Magazine, uh, which was a food and travel magazine, really. And then came the second book, and the third book. But by the time I had the set, the first book actually, I went on tour, which like a, you know, author tours when those existed, because they no longer exist. But I went on tour, and I got to meet a lot of people in in different uh, you know universities where I was lecturing about Asian food cultures. And I got my first gig as a professor 
as a you know adjunct professor, first as a visiting faculty and then as an adjunct. And that was at uh, Drexel University. And then I got another gig at NYU, you know, teaching creative writing. And then the second, the third book, the fourth, the fifth, and I, you know, now I'm on book number nine and nine is coming out actually in 2022. So it's been quite the ride as a cookbook author and teaching. I love teaching also. Go back to that first book because you said it was the hardest thing that you ever had to do. Explain to me what made it so hard and how did you overcome that? I'm not a natural writer and English is my second language. I was like, what am I doing writing a book? And I mean, it was, wow. But I had, you know, this husband slash professor on my side who said, just do it. You can, you have the story, just write from your heart. That's what he said, just write from your heart. And that's how I learned to write because I didn't have the college degree in creative writing or journalism mm-hmm. or, or English lit for that matter. I was just, you know, a kid from France, uh, having gone to college to study accounting <laughs> and, and at first, and then, you know, uh, studying, you know, uh, French ex- existentialism. Uh, <laughs> so, and I studied for, you know, religion. I mean, things that didn't have anything to do with creative writing necessarily. But Somehow he just said to me, just write from your heart. And I did it, you know, kicking and screaming every step of the way because it was really difficult because then I had to write from the heart, which means you have to open up. Mm. And oh boy, do we know what it's like to open up your heart. It's really, really, really difficult. You know, open up your heart, open up your mind. Like, and nobody's going to be interested in this story, I would say, because of course they will. They don't know this. Like, what do you mean? It's like it happened. It's not, you know, unique to me, you know. So I would go through every single recipe, telling a personal story, how I came up with the recipe, who passed it down to me. My aunt said it, it was like this and like that, you know. And I had to tell the story. And it was just, oh, man. I got angry almost every day. I was just a basket case. I was like, wow, I can't, I should probably should not tell that story, you know. <laughs> And it's not like I was telling family secrets or anything like that. You know, it was just that I had to go deep. Um, yeah. And even if I wasn't telling the family secrets, I still had to go there in order for me to be able to write freely, you know? Yeah, there are a couple of things I really love about this. One is that you're, you said you're a self-proclaimed, you said this, not me, <laughs> not a natural writer. Yeah. Meanwhile, you ended up teaching creative writing. I love that. That's like the irony there is like, you know, and that you're being honest about how vulnerable it has to be. Yeah. I I work with my students all the time, my storytelling students about sharing themselves. And it's not always the big things that are tough. No. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's easier to tell the like trauma. Let me tell you my trauma. (laughs) Like the little details are actually sometimes more difficult. They are. Because it's almost like you can't just focus. If you're going to tell something little, sometimes you have to go deeper in order to figure out that it's that little thing that's really the most important, not the big drama, as you say. But the big drama might be more entertaining, though. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Tell me the story. Like, what what was it like? You know, you want every single worry, little detail, you know. <laughs> but that's not really what's important. Let me tell you what's important. <laughs> but anyway, it was just, you know, that I had to just go from a place of, of vulnerability you're right it was just like going deep 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 
within my psyche in order to, first of all, remember all these stories and how I grew up and how these, you know, recipes came about and how I watched my grandmother at the stove. I mean, a lot of chefs will tell you this type of story. You know, I watched my grandmother at the stove. I started cooking when I was three years old, you know? <laughs> which I think is so crazy, right? I didn't, by the way, I didn't start cooking when I was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hold, the chef's knife was bigger than me. Uh, but I, you know, it, it's it's a much different route that I took. So I started writing books and I went teaching and then I got my culinary degree. And I, in fact, I was teaching the classes. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. How many books had you written before you got your culinary degree? Three. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much because you were writing, you were, you were sharing from the heart. I was sharing from the heart, you know, it was just like, it was a technicality. It's like, come on, I know how to cook, you know, and I know how to hold a knife. I mean, I, I cook with cleavers to begin with. since <laughs> So what made you then decide, oh, I should go to culinary school or, or was it to deepen or was it no, to validate? It, 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 I think it was more of a validation thing. I mean, it, it was like this. I went to school and I, and you know, they, they had me there sort of taking on not only was I teaching culinary courses, but I was also teaching tourism because I had traveled so much, you know, and I had a very unique perspective or at that time, a unique perspective. I don't know if it was unique, actually. It was just a different perspective. And so yeah. I was teaching all these classes and they said, Corinne, you're here so much. Why don't you just get your degree? Like, oh, well, that's an idea. <laughs> you know, never even entered my mind because I'm already writing the books. I'm already teaching, but okay, if you want me to get a degree, I'll get a degree. That's fine. And I got my degree. And that was that. So, you know, hospitality management and, and, you know, with a minor in business, I thought, yeah, that's useful. So that's what I did while I was teaching, while I was writing and while I gave birth to my daughter. <laughs> Which as we said, before we came on, I can't believe how old she is now. It hurts yeah. my feelings. How old she is. <laughs> <laughs> She's legal now. <laughs> She's legal. That's and so she, scary to me. She's been reminding me since, since the day she turned. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, this is still a Chinese family, and I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> so you've gone to culinary school. You've been writing these books. Yeah. And then you took a bit of a turn, in a way. Yeah. 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 And where did that lead you? Well, then I started... I was working as an executive chef in a French bistro, actually. Uh, so going back to my French roots, uh, and that was in Brooklyn in Borham Hill, great neighborhood. So I started working as a as an executive chef there. But before that, I was their branding and marketing consultant. And then I started looking at the menu and I started looking at what they were offering and, and the struggles that they were having. And I said, well, let me just step into the kitchen. <laughs> and that's what happened. I don't know. My life is just like twists and turns and it's just, it, things just happen like that. Well, I think there's a couple of things there that I really love. One of which is that you have both the business mindset as well as the creative mindset. Yeah. And not just similar to me, you're able to play in both worlds, so to speak. And and, and in some ways it gets us in trouble. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also very valuable because we'll never be out of work. But it also gets us in trouble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm like, ooh, I did that. You know, okay, what do I do next? And then I got some consulting gigs, you know, just for, you know, developing restaurant concepts and working also a lot in not-for-profit, you know, uh, working with, you know, marginalized folks, like underserved communities, which led me to to meet 
people from different walks of life. And it's, it's, I've had a really, you know, I've been blessed, I would say. I've been blessed. It wasn't always easy. Um, you know, I've had tough times. I've had great times. I mean, this is the life of a consultant, of a, you know, somebody who works as a freelancer, basically. But I have to say that not one moment <laughs> has been boring. And I, I would say that my time when I, I started studying yoga put everything in focus for me. That was a turning point because I was doing so many things and I could switch gears very easily. I've always been able to do that. I mean, before I got into, into, you know, the cookbook and, and, and the, the whole culinary thing, I was in design, remember? So I, right. and in the trade show industry, and I was an interpreter for the French. I mean, it was just like, wow, so many different careers I've had, but somehow they all connected. They were all connected because the skills that I build were all there. And they're sort of, you could transfer these skills from one industry to the next sort of seamlessly. It's life. It's just what you learn, how you evolve. It's, those skills can be transferred. When I started studying yoga, it put everything in focus because, you know, when you're, like I say, when, when you're used to switching gears like that so quickly, like I do, it's, you need downtime. You really do in order to sort of get rid of the mental clutter, aside from the, the clutter in the room, <laughs> but mostly the mental clutter in order to see what comes up next, you know? So I needed to clear my mind a bit and then just to to sort of regroup and take some time to really reflect on what I had accomplished already and really where I wanted to be because I wasn't 100% happy. I really wanted to get to a place where, where well, I guess to a place where everybody wants to be truly, truly 100% happy. I don't even know if there's such a thing to be 100% happy, is there? I don't know. Well, I would maybe say content. Content, yeah, that's better. Happiness <laughs> is fleeting, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I enjoy solitude, and I was never truly alone. You know, in my line of work, I was always with people. It was always a team environment, except when I wrote books. But even when I wrote books, or even when I write books, because I still do, you know, I had to travel quite a bit. And I met people on the way and I had to interview people and I had to eat a lot. <laughs> and, this and, sounds like a job I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> and I met all sorts of people. So I was never, even when I was writing, I mean, the only time I was truly alone is when I was in front of my laptop, sort of jotting down my notes and writing. But I spent a lot of time with a lot of people. And so what yoga gave me is a space to, to really breathe deeply really, really deeply. And even with yoga, I got obsessed with that too. I mean, I started doing my Ashtanga and that just <laughs> until, until unfortunately, you know, I had some, some injuries because it's sort of like contortionism in many ways that <laughs> the French of yoga is sort of really crazy, you know, in many ways. It's wonderful in that it, it really brings focus, but it's also very difficult to, to keep up with. And I started that type of yoga I think late really late this is something you want to start when you're 12 <laughs> because, okay. because it's, it's that you know intense it's a very intense form of yoga there's no question about yeah. it and I started when I was 40 so I'm like what am I doing is this crazy or what <laughs> but I did it you know what did you learn from that I learned to sit still like truly sit still and being enormously focused and 
I enjoyed my solitude. There were times when I was on the mat where I would be doing the sun salutations and then somehow I would check out while still going through the flow. You know, I would, I would check out and all of a sudden I wasn't trying. I was like, Oh, what just happened? I was that gone. <laughs> well, was it check out or tuned in? Oh, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Good point. But I was just so ultra focused that I didn't even feel the movement. My body just moved. It just moved. And, you know, it would happen multiple times. It was crazy. It was like, wow, how did, what did, did I really, did I do the other postures before I got to try? Did I do that? I did. I must have done that because, you know, in, in Ashtanga, the teacher who's in the room will stop you. If you see, oh, you didn't do that, go back. It's that strict of a practice. And so figuring that my teacher who really had his eyes all the way around his head didn't stop me. So I figured I had done those postures before I got the triangle, but I would just tune in, as you say. And it was uh, this incredible feeling. And then I started going to the temple and chanting. So then I got deeper and deeper into my practice. And what did that do for your career? What did that do for your business? I would say that I wanted to do something more in terms of, you know, not doing something for myself necessarily, but doing more for others. Like I wanted to be more, I wanted to do something that was worthwhile and that that would be rewarding on multiple levels, not just rewarding for me personally, but really more working on projects that would, you know, probably benefit many other people. I started doing more not-for-profit work because life's too short. And I think that if you just serve yourself, it's, it's a waste. I think it's better to, to really try and do something for someone else. Like we all talk about this stuff. Yeah. I want to do for someone else, you know, but do we, do we actually do that? Do we take the time? And I think it's important to check in once in a while and say, Hey, what have I done today for someone else? Hmm. That in itself is a spiritual practice right there. Yeah. And then I got into tea. Like I grew up drinking tea, but I needed to understand it on a spiritual level. I, w- I wanted to bring it in to my life on a spiritual level. You know, not just, okay, I drank tea. You know, well, when you go into a Chinese household, you, you are offered tea or you're serving tea. But tea is very much part of the culture. And I always took it for granted. You know, I never thought about it because it's just part of life. You just drink tea. <laughs> And I love tea. Yeah. I love, love tea, as you already know. So, and anybody who <laughs> listens to this knows I love tea. I'm so excited to hear about this process of tea as a spiritual practice. So can you talk us through that a bit? Yeah. So you're focused because you have this beautiful yoga practice, this meditation practice. You know how to focus. You know how to relax. You know how to be content. You know how all these wonderful things. And, you know, for me, who's like, and I know super curious and we're all curious because, you know, you kind of have to be in order to sort of branch out the way we do, right? You do a lot of things too, Understand. <laughs> right? We're like, we're constantly switching gears, but because we do that, I think we need to also kind of ground because if we switch gears and we let ourselves switch gears on so many times, all the time, it's hard for us to ground. So what tea does for me, what yoga does for me, what even Aikido did for me was just to ground, you know, when I hold a cup of tea and I just sort of look at the leaves, I observe the leaves, how they open up in the water. 
that's a beautiful meditation. It's a beautiful way to, to sit still, you know? So if you can't just sit still by yourself, just doing nothing at all, sometimes it's just a few leaves in hot water and just watching the few leaves open up. That's so pretty. And as they open up, you smell, you know, the aroma. And that's so gentle. It puts a smile, an instant smile on your face. Like you're smiling right now. <laughs> it's just a beautiful practice. And I've taught tea meditations. It's, it's kind of nice. And I, it's not really teaching. It's just like, you know, let's just sit still and let's observe the leaves. It's guiding. Yeah, it's just a guided meditation. I can't really teach anybody to, to, to meditate, really. I can only just, this is what you can do to relax, to ground, to, you know, to reflect, to recharge, to just be. Tea became that's called speaking, my friends. <laughs> and that became a meditation for me. Tea became so much more than what I thought it would ever be when I was growing up. I wanted to to really connect to my Chinese roots in a more significant way. Because you know, when you grow up, you just take everything for granted. You really do. And I moved so many times as a young child and, and, and as an adult. I've moved so many times that if I could just have something that brings me back to who I am, for me, that's huge. And tea happens to be that for me because it's so much part of who I am. It's in my veins. There's wisdom in the tea. Yeah, tremendous amount. It's a practice that goes back. Well, first of all, it was discovered some 5,000 years ago in China. And the tea practice that I do, which is called Gong Fu Cha, is to have skill with tea. Gong Fu as in Kung Fu, you know, same thing to have skill. Mm -hmm. And Cha Tea, Kung Fu Cha, have skill with tea. It's a, it's a very beautiful, somewhat loosely choreographed practice. There are specific movements for making a cup of tea. It could take a half hour, like it could take five seconds, but it's there. It is a very specific way of preparing a cup of tea in Chinese culture. And it's not a, a ceremony. It's just a humble tea service. Mm. And that brings me back to humility. I think that's also really important to practice humility. So, yeah, tea, tea reminds me of all that stuff, that good stuff. <laughs> With every delicious sip. <laughs> and now you found yourself in Sweden. Yes. <laughs> so let me tell you about Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come about? <laughs> well, you know, 25 years ago, I came to Sweden to Stockholm as a journalist, as a producing editor, to be more correct, as producing editor for several magazines. And we we're supposed to developed this Christmas story in Sweden. So, you know, lots of snow, lots of Christmas markets, lots of, you know, Christmas arts and crafts and all that. And we were in old Stockholm. We landed in Stockholm and there was no snow on the ground. So I called my editor and I say, hey, you know, there's no snow on the ground. I'm going to do this Christmas story. How exactly? <laughs> there's no snow on the ground. And she goes, well, make it snow. I'm like, okay, well, that was the phone call. I hung up. We went to sleep the next day we wake up. There's like two feet of snow on the ground. So we lucked out. But anyway, I fell in love with the Christmas markets. I'm like, wow, what a magical place. It was just perfect in every way. The snow, the crisp air, the food was fantastic. 
the Christmas market with all the handcrafted, you know, wooden things like the, the gnomes and the Santa Clauses, you know, all in different sizes. It was just pretty. And so I never forgot. I never forgot that trip. Great snaps. You know, I didn't take to it very well, but it was really good to try. Anyway, fast forward, middle of the pandemic, I've always wanted to, slightly like, for about five years ago, I, you know, I wanted to come back to Europe. And I've always wanted to go back home in some way. And of course, I'm not in Paris, so that's not really home. But I wanted to go back to Europe. I wanted to go back to a place where, you know, I could potentially work as well, because that's always great. <laughs> You know, yeah, exactly. You know, just being a little practical. And I remembered Sweden and I just remembered the the quality of life here, the clean air, you know, which was really, really something that I wanted. I wanted clean air. I wanted to breathe fresh air every day. And I didn't really think about the short days, (laughs) you know, during the winter. It's really dark and it's only three o'clock in the afternoon and it's pitch black outside. But, you know, I wanted to be in Europe and I wanted to be in a place that really cared about the environment. That was really important to me. And I just wanted to have a clean, clean, clean lifestyle. And then the pandemic hit and everything shut down in New York. And I said, well, now is the time. This is interesting to me because it is a full circle moment. Yeah. And also yet another reinvention of yourself. (laughs) to say the least yeah and for somebody who's reinvented themselves so many times and for me I actually think of reinvention is really like you were saying one thing builds on another yeah it is you can't forget that you don't lose what you brought to it all of what you had before brought you to this moment exactly but somebody out there who is considering making a leap but has some fear yeah what advice do you have for them Wow. This is like, okay, it's a tough question because not everybody has the same kind of outlook on life. And so there's always a fear when you start something new. You know, there's always some sort of fear. And I I was fearful. You know, it wasn't an easy, I didn't just pick up and go. I'm like, I thought about it for a while. And it's like, you're leaving everything that you know behind. And having lived in New York, for most of my life at that point, it was hard to leave everything behind. And then I was taking, you know, my daughter with me. And that meant that she had to leave everything that she knows behind. And then I thought, am I really leaving everything behind? We're still connected. I mean, look at what's going on today. We're connecting on Zoom. We're connecting, you know, it's like we don't have to be physically in the same room. And if the pandemic has taught us anything at all is that we can still connect no matter what. And we're doing it more actually and farther away. I mean, I have a friend in Egypt that I connected with. (laughs) It's like, I'm connecting with this person in Egypt now in Cairo today. And I'm also, you know, so it's like in one day you could be in Cairo in Japan, you know, wherever in Tokyo, right. Or, or in New York or in San Francisco, it doesn't matter because it's just a click on the computer and you're there. It's almost like beam me up Scotty. We're there. We're there. We're just about there. Exactly. We're at least at the Jetson. Exactly. (laughs) So it's pretty incredible. So nothing, nothing can stop us now. The world is becoming smaller. It really is. You know, we've always said it, but it really is kind of small. 
And so I think that it's easier today to make a major move like the one I did because we're, it's so easy for us to connect. And now because everybody, you know, we're working like a, a hybrid in hybrid mode where you can work part of the time in the office and part of the time at home or remotely entirely. There is no reason why you shouldn't sort of figure out what the perfect life is for you. There's no reason. You've been this sort of amazing soulpreneur <laughs> in that you have really listened to the nudges and moved through it and found the next iteration of the self in such a beautiful and from my vision, seamless sort of way. It all seems to have, and yes, I mean, trust me, I know from my own personal experience, what looks like on the outside is not necessarily what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. You you know, we all have twice as many failures as we do success, at least twice, right? Exactly. But it seems that you have this ability to navigate that in a really beautiful way. And and you know, like failures for me are just opportunities. Really, they're not failures, failures. They're just, oh, well, here's another lesson. (laughs) Yeah, Let me exactly. transform that into something positive, you know? And I think that is part of your success. Well, we that's hope a so. big one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you've taken that as, oh, that's a lesson yeah. and I'm going to learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have to do that. You can't let, a, you know, some like so-called failure bring you down. It's just a moment in like, just a, sh- I mean, it's just a little moment. Unless you want to make it huge, but technically it's just a little moment. Oh, here's here, that's it. It's a little bump on the road, and it's just that—a little bump. That's it, and you just have to to roll with you know with the punches, as we say. You have to roll with them. Don't let any little thing stop you from from achieving what you want to achieve. And believe in yourself is what I would say. It's like, look, I've you know, like I said. As a consultant, as a freelancer, you know, having had my business now for almost 25 years. Oh, my God, did I really say that? (laughs) You're an elder now, my friend. I'm an elder. You know, I've had plenty of failures and I've had plenty of successes. And I think that the failures are successes. That's what they are, ultimately, because they teach you what not to do next or how to transform it into something great. And it's just about moving forward forward like don't don't dwell in the past that's just a whole lot of nonsense and a whole lot of waste of time like don't dwell there stay present and make a little bit of plans for for the future but really just stay present it is what it is like we stay here now and then you're you're much happier that way you know when you stay in the here and now i think that's what i've learned that's that's been the biggest lesson for me it's like stop planning (laughs) contentment Contentment comes from stopping the planning. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to do, but you gotta, you gotta do it. So those out there that are listening that want to purchase one of your cookbooks or learn the process of tea from you, where can they go? Well, my cookbooks are available on Amazon. Like everything else in the world, it's available on Amazon. And my for my tea, it's uh, liquidgoldtea.com. Okay. And we will actually, in the show notes, link some of her books so you can click on them and purchase them. And Liquid Gold 
com, and you're on the socials, right? How do they follow you on? The I'm on the socials yet at uh, so it's the Instagram, it's Corinne Trang, and also Liquid Gulti, both yeah. on there. And again, yeah. we'll we'll uh, we'll link. Instagram is like a, a great platform, isn't it? I just love it. It's so very visual, and I'm such a visual person. Yeah, you're such a visual person that it's like the perfect platform for you. I love it too. <laughs> I, I I love it for maybe a slightly different reason. I, although I am fairly visual myself, but because yeah. I like the communication aspect, I like yeah. to, like DM people. I like it when they chat with me. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, that's who I am. I'm a social butterfly. I, like, I, I, you I'm are. I'm a social butterfly. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you really but I are. too have learned how to sit in solitude, you know? Yeah. I love my solitude. Yeah. I really do. I'm going to let you go. And sit in your solitude. All right. So thank you so much for being <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for sharing yeah. your wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to follow us, to send some DM love on the Instagrams to uh, myself and Corinne. And have, if you have any questions for us, we, of course, are there for you. Thank you all so much. See you next time. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Please rate, write us a review, and subscribe so we can spread the word and other solopreneurs just like you can find us.